What's up, everybody? Welcome to another week of The Bible Boys. My name is James. And I'm Pip. And we're doing things a little bit differently this week. We are uh, on Microsoft Teams. Uh, not as good as in person, obviously, but uh, thanks to the internet, uh, where our voices are coming to your ears. That's right. Um, and not Zoom either. You know, we thought, forget the capitalist system. Mm. Zoom, it gotten a bit too big. They're a bit uh, <laughs> arrogant. Quote, They're a bit quote prideful. James, <laughs> I'm going to quote you. Forget the capitalist system. Zoom is too big. Just uh, out of context, James quotes. That was great. That's a that's a uh, piercing analysis of our current um, capitalist society. And we hate capitalism so much Whoa. that we've gone with Microsoft. Hundred <laughs> percent. So we're on Microsoft Teams. If that was any better. Um, Bill Gates is uh, is thanking us right now for That's endorsing it. his product. Hey, interestingly, on communism. Um, <laughs> Speaking of quotes, <laughs> this is actually a true story. I got I was um, in the communist group in university, and I got kicked out of it because we had a Macca's social, and I accidentally ordered a triple cheese bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, Pip, this is... uh, (laughs) And one of them said to me, um, what's your New Year's revolution going to (laughs) be? Can I say, I feel like we're out of practice in terms of recording via video call. We've got these awkward silences. (laughs) Yeah, we do, yeah. I thought I thought we got into a rhythm, didn't we? With uh, with Zoom, we, we we on one sense we got used to it, didn't we? Mm, we did. Yeah, there's an art to the online like interaction. There's the uh, yes, yes. That's why radio hosts get so used to it, and then in person, they just no one likes them. <laughs> They're always know, going. Sorry, true. we've got thirty seconds left before we need to go to the next segment. Can you finish up your answer? <laughs> yeah. Twenty seconds, and then I gotta go to the bathroom. <laughs> We're about to hit the eight o'clock news. Can you hurry up, please? That's um, it. That's it. Well, Pip, uh, first week of term has started for college. Mm. How's your first two days been of uh, of term one? Yeah, good. First two days have been good. Um, the textbooks are getting bigger. The bag is getting heavier, and so the commute <laughs> is getting harder. Um, but no, it's been really good. Um, so yeah, we've had our first Greek lecture, first New Testament lecture. We're looking in at the gospel of John in New Testament at the moment. So we looked at the prologue, um, this morning, the first kind of five verses or 18 verses, depending on who you ask about what is the prologue. Needless to say, it was very good. Um, nice. Enjoyed it. And, and cricket is back. Been playing more cricket at college. This is lunchtime cricket. Lunchtime cricket at college um, uh, is, is fantastic. So there's plenty of uh, bowling happening, plenty of uh, runs being scored, plenty of classic catches being had. Mm. Um, now, on a scale of one to three, uh, how has your first couple days of college been? Scale of one to three. Can you explain the scale to me, please? Well, it's either bad, decent... Or quite good. <laughs> which one is which? Three is quite good. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to say three. It's been okay. quite good. Yeah. That's good. Um, so on uh, yesterday, on Monday, Viv and I uh, started going into self-isolation. That's why we're on Microsoft Teams today. Uh, basically, we're about one week out from the expected due date of the baby boy, baby Sosthenes. Mm. And um, if, we, if I'm a close contact... Um, then I can't go into the delivery room with Viv. So we're trying to minimize even the possibility of being around other people uh, who, uh, you know, large crowds who might have COVID. Um, Just as a quick disclaimer, if I get a PCR test result back, I think, and it's negative, I think I can go into the delivery room. But, you know, what what if that takes a while to come back? Mm, Uh, In any case, uh, yeah, been tuning into college yesterday and today, Monday, Tuesday, I've really enjoyed it, Pip. 
uh, I've really enjoyed it, been, been participating um, in as much as I can, following along, writing notes. Um, I'm really enjoying it. And something I started doing yesterday, and I've decided I'm going to try and do this for a bit, is, and I haven't told you this yet, Pip, is I'm going to tweet out on Twitter after each lecture something that I learned today or, or something nice. I was reminded of today. And this is going to be a way for me to reflect on what I've been learning uh, and to look back um, in the future and go, oh, yeah, I learned that that day or I went through that on that day. So uh, nice. I think this would be a pretty interesting way for me to, to track um, what I'm learning. What's your handle? Uh, on on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's at James underscore cabbage. All right. So people, if you want a uh, Twitter storm in your feed, a <laughs> theological Twitter storm, jump on. That's cool. That is that is a, a nifty way to kind of just um, to keep yourself accountable in a sense and being like, am I, am I learning things? Can I reflect on what I'm learning? That's good. Yeah. Well, why don't we do the, what, what have we learned this week? So, you know, last week we said we'll start doing, uh, what have you learned recently uh, from college? We are more college theological students. So Pip, if I can, if you could say one thing that you've learned this past week from college, what would it be? Um, well, what the thing that comes to mind is the New Testament class we had today. So John's Gospel, um, there is, I guess the thing I've learned is that there are different opinions about the purpose of John's gospel. Mm. Um, it seems pretty clear that, um, I mean, John gives his purpose that, um, you know, he writes so that um, you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing you may have life in his name. Mm-hmm. Um, that's in uh, that John comes... 20 at the, at the yeah, end of the chapter. Yeah, that's right. Um, but there's, there is debate about whether... Um, uh, when John writes about light and the and the logos, the word, um, you know, light versus darkness, these sort and water, these sorts of themes, uh, is he playing? Is he kind of trying to speak to a, uh, a Hellenized, a Greek audience, mm. um, a pagan audience, or um, because those concepts, all those things are actually also very Jewish. Is he writing to a primarily Jewish audience? Who is he primarily speaking to? Mm. Um, and what is the like? Um, is there are there other meaning like other purposes behind that purpose? That broad purpose of people believing. Mm. Um, what are the other things that he's trying to um, put forward? Um, so yeah, just uh, that you know, all to say that as you read a text. Um, it's important to wrestle with why did this, why did the author write it in the first place? Because that mm. will help us to understand what it's all about. Yeah, nice. Yeah, well, thanks for sharing. Yeah, what about you? Well, uh, one of the things that I uh, was thinking a bit about today, so I had a biblical theology lecture, really, really helpful, thinking about what is biblical theology, and we contrasted it with systematic theology, and so you know, in a very quick sort of, um, you know, summary version. Biblical theology is thinking about the way in which God has progressively revealed himself throughout the Bible and examining the different connectedness and relationships that we see. And we ultimately see their fulfillment in the story uh, in Jesus Christ. And then systematic theology is sort of a logical ordering of the biblical data to produce an ordered, systematic set of answers about different topics. And one of the things that I appreciated uh, reflecting a bit on today is that you need both. Uh, When it comes Mm. to trying to understand the Bible, you really do need both sorts of disciplines and practices. Um, And yet, both can have shortcomings. So someone who just wants to do biblical theology without systematic theology, uh, there can be a real danger of uh, just getting on your historical hobby horse, uh, maybe uh, jumping on, trying to point out all the cool little nuances of what was going on at the time, but not driving to a conclusion or or a a relevance of how this applies to your life. And Mm. for the systematic theologian who doesn't want to do biblical theology, uh, they can make every single text of the Bible say the same thing, pretty much. Whatever Mm. hobby horse they want to jump on, oh, this passage, amazingly, it says the same thing as this other passage from this other book. Uh, because uh, I have this particular doctrine, this particular thing that I, I, I'm very keen on. So mm. we need both. That's something that I appreciated learning a bit about today. Nice. Awesome. 
Biblical theology and systematic theology. Yeah, nice, nice. That's cool. There you go. Now, last week I said that we were going to uh, read an email out before we get into our, our spotlight. And uh, this is an email that was sent to us last week. Um, and uh, the, the author is taking us to task, Pip. Oh, no. Uh, because we, we are again. showing... Yeah, that's right. Not again. <laughs> we, we're demonstrating our... Um, our uh, intellectual ineptitude mm. <laughs> and how we don't really know how to logically uh, do guess who correctly. Okay. So let, let me read this. This is from Jack, uh, your brother-in-law, Pip. <laughs> mm. uh, is this the first time he's taken you to task? Uh, probably not the, not the first and probably not the last. <laughs> Here we go. So it goes, Dear Bible Boys, okay, real talk. Can we please discuss guess who tactics? Don't get me wrong, I love the segment. I come for the Bible, but I stay for guess who. Even so, I'd love to see you guys skill up to be able to guess ever even more obscure characters. In particular, y'all need to get around the power of the binary search. And binary search is in bold. Imagine the character you're trying to guess is Esther. Consider how sometimes you might ask a series of questions like, so this is what we ask, right? Mm. Uh, Is this character in the Old Testament? Yes. Does this character first appear before Abraham? No. Before Moses? No. Before David? No. Before the exile? No. You can use up a quarter of your questions and only just find out that this is a post-exilic figure with potentially hundreds of characters still in the playing field. That Abraham question is particularly wasteful. If the answer is no, you still have 95% of the Old Testament left to explore. You haven't Mm. narrowed it down much. Now, there's Mm. more here, but Pip comments. Um, look, I see what he's, he's driving at. Um, I think part of the entertainment of that segment is our stupidity. <laughs> so I think if you take the stupidity all away, there's not a whole lot of entertainment left, I think. But I appreciate... So is what with the binary search, is what he's saying you've got to split it down the middle a bit more. You gotta That's exactly what he's about to say. Yes. Yeah. So why don't I read it now? He goes, the idea with the binary search is if you can cut the area you're searching in by half with each question, you get to the answer exponentially faster. To take it to the extreme, you can always get down to the exact chapter your character appears in in a maximum of 10 questions by knocking out half the remaining chapters each time, no matter who the character is, guaranteed. So, for example, our first questions could be, does this character first appear in the Bible before Psalm 117, which is the middle chapter? Oh, boy. Yes. What about before 1 Kings 7? No. And then, you know, that's another half. Before Job 10? Yes. Before 2 Chronicles 5? No. Before Ezra 6? No. Before Esther 1? No. Now, in just six questions, you've narrowed it down to just one and a quarter biblical books, which is probably enough info to start guessing individual characters. And then he has some more questions, but at the very end he goes, in just 10 questions, you've narrowed it down to a single chapter, which is a huge clue, and you still have 10 questions to figure out who it is. There you have it. Godspeed. Jack. Mm. So Pip, what do you reckon? Wow. I will say this. Jack, he's a great brother-in-law. He's a very smart guy. He's contributed a lot to me personally. Uh, My theology... Uh, my psychology, my family. Uh, he's contributed a lot to my knowledge of lots of things, even things like <laughs> philosophy and mathematics. I will say this, though. Jack has one fatal flaw. What's that, Pip? He is a massive nerd. <laughs> massive nerd. Well, Pip, I think you and I will say... He's, he's, he's not wrong. He's not wrong, but he's like a, a mathematical Pharisee in, in a way. <laughs> he's, he's come up with his own mathematical rules for this game, and he's trying to suck the fun out of the game. That's right. right. So will we acknowledge that this is probably a better way to do it? Yes. Will sure. we do it this way? No. No, absolutely <laughs> not. Okay. Let let me ask if it's a uh, a male, and then let me ask if it's a female. Okay. Let, let me make those mistakes. 
Uh, good fun. Good fun. Well, thank you, good Jack. Times. We always appreciate it. And, and listeners, you can always email us at thebibleboys at gmail.com. And that's boys. With a Z. That's it. Well, Pip, I feel like we should probably get to the Bible. Because mm. we would be making a huge error with our name, mm. the Bible Boys, if we didn't directly get to the Bible itself. So what do you say? S- something would be incredibly amiss. If we didn't. And so, yes. James, you've prepared a little something-something for us today in, in the Bible sphere. That's uh, it. What will you be talking to us uh, about today? Well, today I want to give us three reasons we don't pray more as Christians. Three reasons three we reasons, don't pray. Three reasons we don't pray more. That's it. Yes. Now, which word do you, do you want to emphasize? Three reasons we don't pray more. Three reasons <laughs> we don't pray more. Three reasons we don't pray more. Uh, All of the above. (laughs) Three reasons we don't pray more. Okay, take it away. There we go. All right, very good. So if you've got your Bible there, let's let's read two passages first. And let's let's think a bit about prayer. And then I'll get into our three reasons. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. All right. So, Pip, uh, let's open up first to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. And uh, when you get there, can you read verses 10 to 12? Now, while you're opening that up, listeners, what I want to say with this segment is, you know, the title of the segment is, Why Don't We Pray More? But the goal here isn't just for us to, to, to think a bit about why we don't pray more. The goal is to pray more. I hope that this segment helps us reflect a bit on ourselves and our own lives, our own attitude towards God, with the effect being that we do want to become more prayerful. Does that sound okay? Sounds good. All right, so uh, Pip, could you please read 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 to 12? Okay, it says this. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Great, thank you. So from this passage here, 1 Peter chapter 3, we have a, a, a promise, really, a promise that God wants to hear the prayers of the righteous. God wants to turn his face and his eyes and his ears to be attentive to the righteous. And it's worth saying in this case that the righteous here, you know, it's not talking about those who are completely sinless. Um, it's, it's a description of God's people. Those who are in uh, their in relationship with God, and as Christians who've been declared righteous in Jesus Christ, those who have faith in His Son, this is a description of us. God wants to turn His eyes towards us. God, uh, God's ears. You know, now to be clear here, God doesn't have ears. He's spirit, not physical. It's 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 um what we call anthropomorphic language, right? Language given to God using human features and and, um, uh, descriptions. His ears are attentive to our prayers. And we also don't really realize that this is a privilege because those who aren't righteous in God's sight, 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12 says, the face of the Lord is against them. So in other words, God has no reason to answer the prayers of people who aren't his. You know, that's not saying that God can't hear them. You know, God is all-knowing. God is all-seeing. But the point is that God has no reason to be attentive to the prayers um, of those who aren't his. Um, Which is an incredible thought. It's an incredible thought, which I'll come back to in one of the three reasons. But Pip, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, okay. So so I'm just trying to think, how does this connect to... So how is this a reason that we don't pray more? Or is that coming? That's coming. So just yep. reflecting a bit about prayer first, and then I'll come to our three reasons. Yeah, I, I, I do think, you know, um, it's it's really important as Christians to realize the privilege that prayer is. Um, yeah. And it sounds like uh, it's, it's almost, I, I feel bad that I myself have to kind of keep reminding myself that it's a privilege, you know. It's, it seems like, so when you dwell on it, it seems so obvious. Why, why aren't I praying more? It's such a privilege that I get to speak to God mm. and that he would hear me. Um, yeah. So yeah. I'm interested to hear, hear what you've got to say, um, say next. 
Yeah, thank you. Well, one more passage before we get to our three reasons.、Uh, Philippians chapter four, Philippians chapter four, verse six. And so I'm going to read this passage. Philippians chapter four, verse six reads: "Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God." Now, from this passage, we get、uh, we can actually jump from this passage to see something of what prayer is. A、uh, prayer is speaking to God and making requests before Him, and so if you know, take a look at at what the Bible has to say about prayers. You see prayers with, you know, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, remembrance, and questioning. But here in Philippians four, in particular, we see we see the thanksgiving, but this idea of presenting your requests to God. Prayer is coming before the 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 Creator and King of the whole universe. And laying before Him what's on our hearts, laying before Him what's on our minds and our desires,、um, because God can act, God can work, God does work, God does act, and so、uh, and part of the effect of that is Paul saying in Philippians four verse six that instead of being anxious about things, in every situation we can be prayerful about things. Bringing them to God. Now, I don't think that's saying here that you know when we are、uh, struggling with anxiety, perhaps you know, um,、uh, chronically, you know, con- uh, continually, uh, that you are sinning against God. Rather, I think it's this attitude that we can adopt in our lives that we can choose to、uh, move past anxious feelings towards prayerful actions and words as well. Mm. Mm.、Uh, Pip, do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think.、Um, I mean, this is a, a really great memory verse to memorize. This Philippians four,、um, but I think it shows as well that like,、um, unless unless we realize our like requests come from a real realization of needs, you know. And so if we think that we've got everything we need,、um, spiritually or, or physically or whatever,、um, I I can see that as a danger to prayer. The kind of Um, yeah, the the thinking that oh we've got everything already we don't need anything.、Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So nice.、Uh, speaking of memory verses, at、um, Light Youth a few years ago, listeners, this is one of the youth groups that I've helped oversee. We put Philippians four verse six to Castle on a Hill by Ed Sheeran, and、um, oh, yeah. it goes like, okay, I'm very bad at singing, but it's like you got do、this. not be anxious. About anything, anything, but in everything, everything by prayer and petition with thanks, <laughs> give and present your requests to God. Philippians four verse six, and then you go. <laughs> That's great. Hey, I didn't realize that you were.、Um... Such a good singer. <laughs> you're very kind. I didn't realize、um, that you were an Ed Sheeran impersonator. Yes, that's it. That's it. That that's what I am. I moonlight、uh, as that. <laughs>、um, all right, let's get to it. So, truth is, listeners and Pip,、um, many of us don't claim to have a vibrant prayer life.、Uh, in fact, a lot of this thinking comes from the fact that I know、uh, I can very often fail to pray. Uh, f- prayer can seem like an afterthought or be forgotten entirely.、Um, I think apart from waking up in the morning and then maybe before three meals.、Um, apart from that, you know, prayer throughout the day.、Uh, I don't really think about that. And then you get passages like one Thessalonians five, where part of God's will for us is that we would pray continually.、Um, and so, why is it that we don't do this? Well, I've got three reasons for us. Why don't we pray more? Firstly. And、uh, it's something you were alluding to, Pip. The first reason we don't pray more is because we don't realize what a privilege it is. First reason we don't pray more is because we don't realize what a privilege it is. It's a privilege that's not afforded to all people, as we saw in one Peter chapter three.、Uh, God is attentive to the prayers of the righteous, but He turns away His face from the evil,、uh, meaning that He always listens to the prayers of the righteous and can answer yes or no. It doesn't mean that He always answers yes. But he has no reason to listen to the prayers of the unrighteous, and we also know this because Christians have Jesus as our great high priest.、Um, 
it's through Jesus Christ that we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We see that in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 to 16. But Jesus is not the great high priest of those who are not his people. And so as Christians, we have this tremendous privilege of being able to boldly approach the throne of grace in times of need, coming before the Father, bringing our requests, and yet we don't do it. Now, I think that a huge reason why I don't pray more is because I forget what a privilege is afforded to me. I forget how good it is. Uh, it makes me think a bit about, um, I remember when I first started dating Viv, and every single time uh, she'd reply to one of my messages, I'd look at it straight away. I, you know, <laughs> I'd get a thrill in my, you know, my heart would start pumping more and I'd go, oh, you know, she's replied, she sent me a message because it was... Uh, it was a new privilege. It was a, a unique form of communication with this person who I, I, I quite liked and wanted to get to know more. Um, and, and I still look at, you know, messages Viv sends me, sends me, but I don't quite get the same thrill, if that makes sense. Mm. Um, yeah. And so I think some of us might find prayer more of a chore than a privilege. Uh, maybe something that is, uh, slow, needless, impractical. Uh, do I really need to do that? Do we really need to pray? Uh, why mm. do I, aren't we just doing the unnecessary? And I think it's because we forget that it is a privilege. We have direct access to God who is attentive to our prayers. And so that's one of the reasons why we don't pray more. Mm. Pip, do you want to comment on that? Or do you want me to do the three and then comment? What would you like to do? Uh, you, go f- you, you go for the three and then I'll comment after. Great. So number one, we don't pray more because we don't really realize what a privilege it is. Secondly, um, I don't think we pray more because we don't realize we need God. We need to depend on God. Um, Prayer is an expression of dependence. Um, Indeed, many of us, including me, I think that the, the times when I'm most prayerful is when I feel like I can't do anything else. So when I'm really sick and I'm in bed and I'm going, oh, I just want this headache to go away or whatnot, I may as well pray. But when things are going well in life, quote unquote, well, or I'm just going about my day to day activities, I can find it really easy to forget prayer, uh, to feel like it doesn't really matter. And I think part of that is because I don't really believe I need God in all things. I don't really think I need to depend on God in all things. Mm. You know, um, if you think about maturity, um, maturity as, as a human being from your parents is growing more and more independent from them, right? Not needing your parents to help you do things. When you're really little, like a baby, uh, you need your parents to, to help feed you, clothe you, bathe you, all that stuff. And, and as you grow as a human being and to an adult, you're growing more and more independent from your parents. But that's not the way it is for the Christian life. In fact, for the Christian, the more and more we grow in maturity, I think that we should be growing more and more in recognition of our dependence on God. Um, Prayer is an expression of our dependence on God who gives us all good things. Um, Prayer is not a last resort, a spiritual tack on. Uh, Prayer is not the thing that we go to when we've exhausted all human options. Prayer should be the thing that we are invited into to express our dependence on God. So um, I love that, for example, uh, uh, at college, before we start a lecture, we, we, we pray, recognizing that we need God's help uh, to, to grow us and teach us. Uh, something I've been trying to do more is uh, when someone tells me something, the first thing I do is I pray for them, either there in the moment or in my head. Um, I might even say, hey, can I pray for that right now? Um, and I have had some people go, hey, actually, that'd be really nice. Uh, that's very unusual. But yeah, let's do it. Um, and so I, I tried to do that when I was at, at some pause as well. When people would tell me things, I just say, hey, why don't I pray for that right now? Mm. Um, but the truth is, I don't think that I pray more because I don't really believe in all things in life. I need to depend on God. Mm. The third thing, third reason is uh, I don't think we really uh, pray more because we don't really know who God is. Uh, in other words, um, we haven't really connected our knowledge of God uh, uh, to our practice. Let me explain what I mean by this. Um, if you think about how you talk to a person, how you talk to a person um, says something about your relationship with the person. 
So, you know, if you've just met someone, you might not be as jokey with them. You might not, you know, tease them a bit. Uh, but the more you know someone, the more comfortable you feel. It, it actually affects your speech with them, doesn't it?、Mm. Um, and the more you、uh, get to know someone, it, it, it changes the language you might use or the kinds of things you say. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 8, Jesus says that, that prayer、uh, is, is not meant to be something that's just a public display of spirituality, it's actually meant to be part of our private Christian life. Something about our personal relationship with God. Something that,、uh, in fact, God will reward.、Uh, um, and that's why Jesus says, if you, you know, have, been, have you've re- received praise from, from out other people, you've already received your reward, right? Like,、uh, you, your、mm. speaking isn't actually about your relationship with God, it's about trying to gain praise from other people. And I think what we can glean from this is that prayer is an expression of our personal. Relationship with God, our personal knowledge of God, our personal relating with God.、Mm. Um, if we really understand who God is, if we really adore God for who He is, if we really understand just how much we have been loved and blessed in Jesus, then that will change the way we speak to Him.、Um, I think that often I can know things about God, but not translated that into. Hey, this should change the way I talk to God, right?、Um, It's it sort of,、um, I mean, I, I think I've talked about this before with you, but you think about how we, we can pray and thanks t- to God for the food that we're about to eat. You know, we go, oh, God, thank you for this food. Please bless it to us in Jesus' name. Amen. And then we'll eat the food and then we'll trash the food. God, this is the worst. Now, I'm never coming back to this restaurant. This is the worst food I've ever had. I'm going, wait a second. Going, wait a second, have you connected what you've said with what, what you're doing now or what you know? And you say that you're thankful that God gives you food and now you're trashing the food. How does that display an attitude of thankfulness? If you're really thankful, that should change the way you speak to God, the way you speak about God, the way you relate with God.、Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, this is a bit of a disparate set of thoughts here, but I guess another、mm-hmm. thing I wanted to add is a few years ago, I read a book. Um, and it had this really provocative quote in the introduction.、Um, and it basically said this any Christian theology that is more determinative than prayer is anti Christian. I'll say it again and then I'll explain it. Any Christian theology, or any theology rather, any theology that is more determinative than prayer is anti Christian.、Mm. Now, what the quote's trying to say is this. What is theology? Theology is knowledge of God, right? And what it's saying is that any theology that becomes more dominant in your life than prayer is anti Christian. Because the goal of Christian theology is knowing God. And the way in which you manifest your knowledge of someone, or the way in which it translates, is how you speak to them. If your Christian theology, if your knowledge of God means you never talk to God, You've misunderstood your theology, or you've missed the goal of theology. If, if all of your theology only results in public expressions of prayer and no private personal relating with God, you've missed the point. You've missed the、mm. point of knowing God. So, this is why I started with this third reason we don't pray more is because we don't really know who God is. We, don't really, we haven't really translated our knowledge of God to how we relate with、mm. God. So, the three reasons in summary. Number one, we don't realize that prayer is a privilege. Number two, we don't really think that we need to depend on God. Number three, we haven't really translated our knowledge of God to our words to God. Those are three reasons we don't、mm. pray more. Yep. Yep. That's, that's really helpful.、Um, yeah, I'm just thinking it through. I'm tr- just trying to like, apply it to myself and think, you know, which of those areas I struggle with. I think. I don't know if this is totally. It's, it's sometimes hard to self evaluate and to get to the root reason for yourself why you don't pray more, you know, why you don't pray as much as you think you should. I have thought for me at times, my view of God、um, has hindered my prayers because it's been a wrong view of God.、Um, I think sometimes the. the Idea of God's sovereignty and human responsibility.、Um, I, 
at times I totally downplay the role of human responsibility and my own responsibility in praying to God. I have this idea of, well, if like God's good and he's in control, so he's going to do good. He's going to do good things. So I don't really need to pray. Like, what am I, what am I going to add on? Like, am I going to give God a good idea? Do you know what I mean? Am I going to say, Hey God, could you do this? And God, and God's going to say, Oh, yeah, I wasn't going to do that, but that's a good idea. I will do that, you know, and that's a deficient view. It's a wrong, like the wrong view of how God uh, and hu- humans operate and like, as opposed to, um, yeah. And I think, I don't know, I think sometimes I downplay God's sovereignty. And I think a lot of people, you know, people who, um, I guess, express that sometimes they feel like their prayers are just kind of going to the ceiling and not going any further than the ceiling. And sometimes, you know, is God really there? Is God really in control? Is he really, um, am I going to see any tangible change or outcome from my prayer life? Um, and I think sometimes people might try to sneak, like downplay God's um, sovereignty and his willingness to act sneakily by saying things like, you know, prayer is not so much about um changing you know changing god's what god's going to do prayer is more about changing you i've heard that yeah and then it becomes all about this kind of like prayer is like this meditation that helps you to level yourself and helps you to um kind of change who you are inwardly it's like a therapeutic thing for you but that's not how the bible talks about prayer yeah the bible talks about praying asking god for things and god do doing things Yes, giving giving things and a- answering prayer, um, and for there to be like real tangible um, results of prayer, um, I think the obvious, I I guess the elephant in the room of this discussion is a lot of people, myself from time to time, struggle to pray because we fail to believe we don't believe that prayer works. Mm. You know. If you don't believe that your prayers will ever be answered with a yes, um, what I think what tends to happen is you you start to only pray for the things that you think are going to happen anyway. You know, mm. I I pray that you'd help me to drive safe. I pray that you'd help me to um, have a good day at uni. I pray that you'd help work to go smoothly. Help me to. Um, get this assignment done on time. Things that you kind of know, look, those things are probably going to happen anyway, but I'm going to pray about it. Not saying that you shouldn't do those things, but then what we fail to do is to pray the big prayers or the the prayers that were actually great against what we we think is likely going to happen. Mm. Um, Prayer for healing, you know, miraculous healing. Prayer for, um, yeah, kind of wisdom that exceeds what we think yeah we're capable yeah. of things like that um yeah so there look there's some reflections on prayer um it reminds me a bit of um so just yesterday i was reading acts chapter 12 so you know i've been continuing to read through the book of acts and in acts chapter 12 peter is imprisoned by herod and then all the believers are praying and then Jesus sends an angel to release Peter from prison and Peter goes and is, you know, knocking on the door and <laughs> the Rhoda, the servant, um, sort of hears that he's there and is so excited. Rhoda goes and tells the disciples and they go, no, you're, you're, you're joking. He's not really there. And they go back to presumably to keep praying that God would release Peter from prison. Yeah, yeah. And it's so, it's so unbelievable that Peter would be, re- I mean, I feel like the text is trying to get us to see that the disciples were really shocked because it says when they see Peter, they're shocked that he's there. Mm. Going, wait a second, you were praying this, you know, just a few verses ago. Why are you shocked mm. that God answered it? And when I reflected on reading it, I'm going, yeah, I think I would be shocked. Um, mm. To go, wait, actually God answered this prayer to release him from prison? Mm. Um, I think you're right that we we can tend to, to not believe that God will actually answer the prayers that we that, that we pray which sort of falls under category three, doesn't it? In translating that knowledge of God into our prayers, 
uh, you think about one, uh, was it James chapter five, where it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Mm. Um, prayer does affect things. Um, but I think that, yeah, like you, I, I can, I can uh, fail to trust that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also like just on that, you know, James passage, the prayer of Raj, I think sometimes we second guess ourselves a lot when we pray. I know I do. Um, there is that bit in James where it says, um, you know, if if you lack wisdom, pray for it, but don't don't ask as someone who's like double minded. Um, you know, such a person is. Un- I can't remember the exact verse. You know, such a person is like unstable, tossed to and fro. Um, so James is kind of saying like, pray pray faithfully, like pray in faith, pray believing that God will answer. Um, don't be double-minded. Uh, don't be doubtful in your prayer, which is very hard to do mm. when you're praying big prayers. It's yeah. very hard not to be doubtful. Um, yeah, yeah. So it is a it is a challenge. Mm. Um, I think as well, like you know, we are. I think in our culture, we kind of look, we kind of shun false piety so quickly. Um, and so something pious, you know, using that word kind of like stereotypically loosely, um, we kind of say, Hmm, am I really going to be that person that, that sits alone and prays and, um, is on my knees? Am I, am, do I really want to be that person? Uh, with Bible reading, there's, there's more of a, like a, a pragmatic approach to it, like, or a mindset where you can be like, well, at least I'm learning. I'm I'm getting more information, inputting. Like I'm learning things, um, you know. But prayer, I'm not lear- I'm not necessarily learning anything new. I'm not taking anything in. It's just me mm. and my thoughts and my prayers to God. What's the um? You know, I can go out for a run and see some kind of benefit from that time that I use. You know, some change in me. Um, but what about prayer? What's the What's the return on that time investment? Um, yeah, so I guess that's another way that's, that's a, a difficulty. Um, if you're quite, if you're quite outcome, um, like quick outcome oriented and you're like, you want to see, you want to know exactly what, what is the return on the investment of your time? That can be like another mental barrier to spending serious time in prayer. Mm, Um, mm. Which... I agree that that's where our mind goes. And yet, I think you and I would both say that biblically, that's that's just not right as well because yeah, yeah. God is the one who's working. God is the one who's acting. And um, it's it's so good and right and important. But also, I think we've got to be careful there because you could also be really outcome-driven with prayer as well in the sense of, um, well, God, look, yeah, I'll, I'll devote myself to prayer, but if I don't see it producing much fruit, I guess I'll just give up on it. Um, mm. Whereas prayer is communion with God, it's it's speaking to our Father. Um, it's sort of like, um, you know, if if I know it's this isn't really part of the segment here, but if the only time we go to God is when we need something, and we're not, you know, if you look at the prayers of the Bible, um, they're not just asking for things. They are they do involve adoration. They involve confession. Mm. They involve thanksgiving. These are things we can pray to God. Um, if the only thing we're doing in our prayers is, you know, petitioning, um, we're not really approaching God and communicating with him, uh, in the way that, uh, has been modeled to us in scripture. Mm. It's sort mm. of like going to your dad when you just want something. <laughs> mm. um, I, I, yeah, I agree with that. I, I don't know. More things are coming to mind. The things that I struggle with, like, um, with, on the pragmatic level, I've I've really wrestled because I remember some people will like print out a list of names of maybe it's their growth group or maybe it's like people in the church or a list of family members and they'll pray for them like by name. I've struggled with that in in the past because I often think why not just say you know pray for the all the members in my church and pray the same kind of outcomes that you would help them to have faith in you, that you would watch over them, that you would um, not, you know, uh, not lead them into sin, but that you deliver them from 
temptation and that you'd help them to be holy and faithful all the days of their life and growing, all these kind of positive outcomes that are that you want for everyone. Um, yeah, I've often struggled to get down into the specifics of things. Um, but I guess, you know, when you know the unique uh, things that particular people want prayer for, that becomes easier to pray for them individually. But when it's like a group of people, I think I've struggled sometimes with the concept of praying for people individually. And mm. um, even for like, I've said this as a joke before, but this is like, you know, a serious kind of intellectual struggle for me. It's like when we pray for different countries and we have a prayer group for, um, you know, New Zealand or a prayer group for uh, India or whatever. It's kind of like if we're all praying for the same outcomes, like the the same thing, <laughs> yeah, why not yeah. just why not just pray for the world, you know? Or is that I don't know. Like I know there's something quite lazy and not quite right in that thinking, but I struggle intellectually to to, to think why do we want to get yeah why do we want to get specific yeah, yeah. if we're praying for the same sorts of things? Well, there's the, there's a good reason perhaps and a bad reason and mm. i've i've had both reasons so let me give you the bad reason yeah the bad reason is because it'll take longer <laughs> yeah yeah that's why i, I mean, struggle with it <laughs> um yeah i mean in the last few years uh for growth group yeah i have prayed through each you know member of the growth group but i remember that that was a hump to get over that was a huge hump to get over because i'm going mm. man i could just pray for my growth group in general I pray for each person, then I got to remember what's going on with each of them and it'll take more time. But I found it really fruitful. If I found it really fruitful because it helped me actually bring each person before God. And then when I said to them, I prayed for you, I've actually been praying for you. I genuinely meant it and I, mm. I've genuinely been doing it. But I think that was a bad reason for me. It was the, oh man, it's just going to take longer. Um, mm. Similarly with the countries, you know. I mean, why pray for one country when you can pray for the world, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can save so much more time. Um, I think that is a bad reason. Um, but I acknowledge that I felt that for sure. I think there's a good reason in recognizing that sometimes you can get so granular that you forget that what you want for each country or each person, there are some universal things that we do want uh, for people as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I have thought sometimes that particular kinds of prayer focuses can be too granular um, if you only do that all the time. So mm. I think it's it's both, isn't it? Like you'd probably want both. Yeah. Um, let me round out this section, if that's okay with you. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, by by uh, sharing a quote that I heard years ago. It's one of my favorite quotes, which is that Christians don't believe in the power of prayer. We believe in the power of the God whom we pray to. Uh, and the reason why prayer is is right is, is powerful and effective is not because of the prayer themselves. It's because of the God who hears and is able to answer our prayers. And so I think that that's uh, a nice way to round out this section. Uh, it's it's a privilege to come before our God and know He knows He that He hears us. It's it's a joy to know that we are dependent on Him for all things and He loves us. And and as we know this God more and more. Uh, it translates into the way we speak to God more and more. Mm. There nice. we go. Thanks, James. Thanks Thank you. That. Now, Pip, uh, do you want to share what you've been reading briefly? And then we'll do Guess Who? Yeah, sure. Um, let me just... So just recently been came across Mark 2 in reading. Um, and yeah, just wanted to, just wanted to quickly share... Um, Mark 2, where Jesus forgives and heals the paralyzed man. So there's a paralyzed man. Um, and I think reading through like different parts of the Gospels, just realizing how much it is important that what Jesus says just grates against the Pharisees' like expectation of how people are to act. And like Jesus is, Jesus is not just healing people, doing stuff randomly but he's doing it like purposefully to reveal something of who he is. Um, and so in Mark 2, a paralyzed man comes to Jesus and um, you'd, you'd expect that he wants Jesus to say, you're healed. 
And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. So that's Mark 2, 5. So Jesus forgives his sins. And the uh, teachers of the law say, why is he talking like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Um, and Jesus asks this question in verse 9 where he says, um, he says to the Pharisees, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And I think like in the, in the past, I've kind of like glossed over that verse without actually answering, try to answer that question. What is easier to say? And I think what, I think what he's saying is it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because it's like an invisible thing that happens. But if you say uh, to a paralyzed man, take up, stand up, take up your mat and walk away, that's a very hard thing to say because people will immediately know if you're for real or not. And so um, Jesus then does the harder thing in, in a sense, like, you know, and says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, get up, take your mat and go home. And the man went up and took his mat and went home. And what it, it kind of just reminded me, I'm not sure if this is what I'm supposed to get out of this passage, but it did remind me of like in Jesus' kind of death and resurrection for us. Um, you know, Jesus dies for our sin. And in a sense, it's like, you know, what is easier to die for sin or to, or to rise from death? Hmm. I think like I don't know if that's what I'm supposed to like. That's one of the that's one of the things that I thought came to mind. I'm like, it's it's it would be easy for anyone, easy in a sense, to just say I'm going to die for your sin and then to die. But Jesus does that, and the harder thing of rising to life to show that He has authority to die for our sin. Mm. Um, anyway, that's a quick reflection. <laughs> I like it. It's uh, you know. Under the strict rules of biblical exegesis, is it a valid reading? It's a Probably little, not. <laughs> it's a little loose. It's a but, little um, loose. Yeah. But I like it. I, I like it quite a bit, actually. Um, no, nah, thanks for that. Yeah. Now, uh, Pip, uh, guess who time? Uh, mm. You've got a character for me to guess. Mm. Yes, that's right. Now, I'm just going to quickly Google because I don't want to miss anything with this particular um, character. Sure. So... Just give me a little sec. Um, gonna get the Wikipedia up. All right, I'm ready. You got 20, qu- 20 questions, audience, listeners. Feel free to play along at home. Twenty questions. Is James going to use some kind of binary approach to this questioning? Only time will tell. Does this character first show up after Psalm one hundred and seventeen? <laughs> <laughs> See, here's the thing. When you ask those sorts of questions, now I've got to be like really kind of on the ball with um, stuff. Um, Okay, I'm going to say... No. (laughs) So the question was, does does he first show up after Psalm 117? I'm going to say no. So this is the other reason why we can't use this binary search um, is uh, apart from the fact that it would make the game not as fun is because we just don't know every single chapter <laughs> in the Bible. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but in any case, so no. So so well, I, I'm not sure if you're using this binary approach correctly because wouldn't it be... So you said, does he first show up? And I've said no. What if it's like shows up before and after that? Does that binary still work? No, no, first. Yeah, first. So, first if it, okay. so if it was, you know, David, for example, the answer yeah. is no, because he first shows up in um, in 1 Samuel. Yeah. Right? But he also shows up after uh, because... Oh, wait. No, he doesn't. Yes, he does. Well, kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, you get what yeah, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Cool. Okay. So no, no. Yeah. Uh, is this character human? Male. Human male. Yeah. Human male, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, is this character um, uh, alive or first appear alive um, around the time of the kings? Um, 
No. Okay. Does this character first appear alive around the time of Moses? No. I should have been saying before or after. Um, does this character first appear alive before the time of Moses? No. Okay. All right. Does this character first appear alive around the time of Joshua, Judges, Ruth? Sorry, say that again. Say that again. Does this character first appear alive around the time of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth? No. Okay. Does this character first appear around the time of David? No. Oh, I don't know the time. I don't know the time. <laughs> I'm not sure if this binary thing's uh, working, but keep going. <laughs> Does this character show up post-exile? Yes. Post-exile. Does this character show up in Ezra or Nehemiah? Yes. All right. There we go. Now we're in business. (laughs) Jack's right. It's taken us nine questions to get here. (laughs) Um, Is this character a prophet, a priest, or a king? Yes. Okay, there we go. Does this character have a na- uh, have a book of the Bible named after them? Yes. Hey, there we go. 11 questions. Very good. Wow. Whew. Okay. Prophet, priest, the king, post-exile. Is this character one of the minor prophets? Uh, yes. Okay. One of the minor prophets, post-exile. Doo-dee-doo-dee-doo. Um, all right. So really, I could just go through all of their names then. Uh, so it, let me just be clear. Is this character a prophet? Yes. Yeah. Wait, I've already said minor. That was a waste of a question. But this <laughs> is what you come for, <laughs> listeners. The entertainment factor. That's it. <laughs> I already said minor prophet. Why did I say he's a prophet? All right, anyway, 13 questions, seven more to go. Um, is this character... Um, does this character prophesy about the rebuilding of the temple? Um, yes. Does this character's book have two chapters in it? Yes. Is it Haggai? Yes! Hey! Well Very done. Good. That was Thank great. You. 16 questions. Wow. I was not expecting you to get Haggai in 16 questions. That's great. Yeah, it was a wasted a bunch of questions, but that's okay. But this is this is what the listeners come for, right, Pip? That's good. Haggai, uh, incidentally, a name that never really stuck around. You don't see many Haggais nowadays. Wait one more week. No, I'm kidding. Oh wow, <laughs> Haggai Chen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Haggai, what a guy! And he was in Ezra. As one of the prophets that was just, like, rocking yes, around. that's it. Yes. Yeah. I remembered one of them was just rocking around. I forgot who it was, but I remembered Haggai... Well, yeah, that makes sense, actually, because Ezra is about the building, rebuilding of the temple, and Nehemiah is about the rebuilding of the Jerusalem War. Mm. Haggai's minor prophet book is about rebuilding the temple. It makes sense that he's in the book of Ezra. It all makes sense. Yeah, yeah. nice, nice. Very good. Um, do you reckon in, in heaven... Like, all the people with, like, a Bible book named after them, like, are going to, like, have, like, a little social and people are going to come and meet them. And you'll be, like, shaking hands. You'll be, like, oh, are you, um, you Isaiah? It's, like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm Haggai. It's, like, oh. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Thanks for your work. I'd like to talk to Isaiah. Thanks for your work. I really, I really enjoyed the bit where that you wrote about, did you write about, um, Jesus? Yeah, yeah, like, uh, yeah, I did. But it was mainly, like, temple stuff. Oh, yeah, 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 temple stuff, temple stuff. Yeah, good, good. (laughs) I do do wonder, um, I I wonder if, uh, because I assume that the Bible will still be in new creation, at least Mm. a copy of it, you know, Um, or some way of being able to read it or, or look at it again. 
That's an um, interesting, interesting, because there are accounts of sin in the Bible. There are stories of sin. Yes, but they are not themselves sin. No, no, no. But it's interesting that they're... Hmm. Yes. Have I sparked a thought for you? A thought are, for are, you? Are there going to be violent movies in heaven? Will Die Hard be viewable in heaven? Yeah, will it? That's a good question. Or, or are we going to be uh, stuck with cars and Finding Nemo forever? <laughs> Finding Nemo has death in it, though, doesn't it? Where um, Marlon's wife, Nemo's mummy, you know, gets taken out by the swordfish. Spoiler alert for a film that's hey, hey, 19 hey. years old. <laughs> Come on, I was about to watch that. <laughs> Can you believe Finding Nemo is 19 years old this year? Is it really? Wow. Yeah. Came out in 2003, I believe. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. Now, who was that? Was that James Cameron? <laughs> no. <laughs> he, he did another film about water. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. The Poseidon Adventure. Anyway. Yeah. Stuart Little One. <laughs> Stuart Little One. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. I think we're done. Pip, we may or may not record next week, depending mm. on what happens with baby Haggai. Yes, um, exciting times. And let can I just invite our listeners, do be praying for um, James and, and Viv, his wife, and um, the next few weeks. I'm sure we'll be busy, exciting times. Just pray for them. That would be great. Thank you. Thanks so much. Well, listeners, that's it for another week. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, next week or next time, you'll be joining us again. The Bible Boys. Bye. See ya.